Don't call it a comb back, I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, Grab girl? my glasses, I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Do you get like I, a hiccup I, or a burp and you try to swallow it? That's what we were doing there. This is the press box. <laughs> some guy some guy heard that yesterday. It took him two two minutes to tweet. He thought it was a soda can. I said, come on, it's eight in the morning. With Grady and Bischoff. Jared, you say that like the quality of these shows have been good since we've been doing it for yeah, full anyway. Come on, On ESPN Las Vegas. No donuts. Came in this morning. There's no Cassie Soda donuts, but uh, we're back in action with the three of us, Ed, Tyler, and Jared. On a Thursday, can we convince her to show up at six thirty with donuts? If we, yeah, if we push the video with the dog, she'll be here like at five (laughs) o'clock, like lined up with a bunch of pink boxes. We want uh, Champ only. Yes, maybe Champ will just bring donuts. (laughs) Champ's probably driving cars by now. He can do everything else. Just wandering down the highway by himself (laughs) in the rain. Yeah, so uh, back in action after the uh, loss last night. It's a series. We'll we'll hear about that later. But I am told it's a series now. Home team lost. It has (laughs) to be a series. It's a series. The Garrett? first I, I bite. Didn't know, like you guys were bantering. <laughs> Is Chandler Stevenson that important to the Golden Knights? Before you get to, did you? Uh, we, a couple guys watched it back the other night. Don't you think it's weird in hockey where like nothing seems to happen, and then all of a sudden guys are out? Like I remember, like I was watching the first game, and they're watching it back. Like, what happened to this guy? Upper body injury. Now, yesterday was an uh, optional skate, so he didn't have to be out there. There's only like five or six guys in the ice because obviously they need to take days off in between. But then we show up last night. They come out for they come out for you know the warmups and skates, and he's nowhere to be found. Yes, just gone. It's strange. Um, my favorite tweets last night were uh, Ken from Senbin was apparently rewatching Chandler Stevenson shifts. And Steve Carp was watching Ken watch Chandler Stevenson's tweets and was tweeting out, Ken is on it. He's watching the shifts. Chandler Stevenson was tripped in the second period. That might have been it. Well, it might. Well, yeah. And I, we had guys on our end from the RJ watching those shifts. And no one down there could come up with anything. These guys, you know, apparently get tripped a lot and fall, but upper body injury. Well, I mean, of course, he's day-to-day. Why wouldn't you be out there? I mean, you're day-to-day on anything out there. here's the scary part on Chandler Stevenson being listed as (laughs) day-to-day. Robin Leonard at one point was day-to-day and was out for a month. Max Pacioretty was day-to-day. Was also day-to-day, and he was out for a month. So when Pete DeBoer says day-to-day... It's not good. Hold on tight, because Chandler Stevenson's like... Season might be over. It's better if DeBoer says something like questionable. Yeah. Because then there might better. be a question whether he could come back like soon or later. But if he's day to day, I mean, <laughs> maybe he's just on his way to Tampa and he's going to sit in quarantine in a hotel room. We'll get ready for the Stanley Cup finals when they play the race. <laughs> maybe he won't even be at the first two games here. He'll just go to Tampa and like pick it up in game three. So I think what the Chandler Stevenson injury sort of showed us and we had talked about it in the before the season started with how the team sort of was built but we we haven't talked about it much throughout the season but they don't have good center depth like William Carlson's a good center but even like take Chandler Stevenson they traded a fifth round pick for him from Washington because a Washington was trying to dump some cap but he was a third fourth line center for the Capitals and the reason he's worked so well here is because he's fast, and they were like, well, put the fast guy with Mark Stone. With the two best players. And it worked, yeah. right? Like, Chandler Stevenson hasn't really played much away from Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. It's not like Chandler Stevenson has been, 
you know, trying to figure out how to make the third line work with Keegan Colasar playing with him, right? He's gotten to play with Stone and Pacioretty pretty much his entire time in Vegas. And he's he's been very good at it, but that's a big reason why he's been good. They don't really have any other good centers outside of that. Like like Nick Waugh has been a good third-line center, right? Tomasz Nosek has been a good fourth-line center. Keegan Kolasar has been better than expected playing on the wing and center. But, like, none of those guys are like, oh, yeah, you can put that guy on the top line. Like, that makes sense. That guy fills in. And so it's, like, when you look at the roster construction, they've always been. They've always been this way. One injury to Carlson or Stevenson away from, uh-oh, who the hell is playing center on this team? Oh, it's it's Nick Waugh, and then, oh, that didn't work. Keegan Colasar yeah. is centering Stone and Pacioretty in a playoff game. Well, and, you know, Petrangelo's playing really well now, but you go back to to get him, you had to give up Paul Stasny. Yeah. And it was it was interesting the other day, someone asked DeBoer about Stevenson, I think it was before the series started, so obviously he was good for game one. And I remember DeBoer saying, you know, coming into camp, they really didn't know about the top-line center. They're going to look at a bunch of people, and Stevenson just took it from day one. Which is good for Stevenson, and he should be credited for doing that and, and being the best player. But like you just said, like what was the competition for it? So yeah. how how good did he have to be to grab that spot? Now you're kind of looking at the team like he's he's done fine. It's it's, it's not a like a rip on no, Stevenson. It's more like okay, maybe he grabbed it because he he deserved it. But also, well, who was he really competing with? Right. Obviously, Cody Glass. Right now, if this doesn't really tell you what we've said all along, and next year's really really important. He's not what they thought. I don't care what they say right now. If you're in the second round of the playoffs and the kid's a sixth overall pick and you look across the league at all these young kids playing, Suzuki's playing, now he's in a different draft, obviously. But, you know, Cole Caulfield in the series, you see all these young up-and-coming players who were either drafted when Glass was or after him playing. Caulfield is a forward. I'm sorry. Like, there's something. There's no chance they can think Cody Glass is, at this very moment, the answer to anything. They have a need at center right now. They have a need at center. Cody Glass's position, right? One of the big like problems for why can't Cody Glass play in the NHL is, well, they don't really need him, right? There's not really a need for him. They need a center right now. And Keegan Colasar was picked over him, right? Like that's a horrible sign if you're the if you're Cody Glass and the Golden Knights. Like Keegan Colasar is a better option to play first line center than Cody Glass. That's unbelievably bad for Cody Glass, right? Well, and Keegan he, Colasar before this was a pick to, uh, a much uh, at a bottom six guy right, Cody that's Glass. It's even, yeah. it's even worse. And so, like, you've got Colasar, Patrick Brown, Dylan Sakura, who has played in games, right? Like, you've got guys that are like, oh, okay. Like, I guess those guys are fine in an NHL lineup, but those shouldn't be the reason that Cody Glass isn't playing. Like, if you told me, okay, Stevenson and Carlson are both really good, and that's the reason Cody Glass can't get center minutes... Okay, that's fine, but when you're when one of those get hurt and Keegan Colasar's playing the last two periods on the top line and Cody Glass like isn't even an option, like isn't even a thought process, we say next year's important. Is he even going to get a chance next year? I don't know. Like, I mean, like, we'll see what they do in the offseason. Like if Peyton Krebs comes back healthy, uh, I'll where? tell you what, he probably will get a chance in the, in the offseason. Now, there might be someone out there who still really likes him and says, no, no, he's young, he's going to be okay, but... We went through this process of, um, you know, he was over the first year the main guy in talks, and if they, you know, wanted to make moves, and they would not include him in deals. Yeah, go ahead and include him now because I don't know what the leverage is at this point. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, now there's probably a team out there saying, no, he's still really young. We liked him coming out in the draft. We'll be there. There'll be teams out there who take him, but what you're going to get in return, or what any kind of leverage you can play with Cody Glass now, has disappeared. Yeah, and on the idea of missing Chandler Stevenson. 
A, first off, one point, the first line wasn't good in the first game. Like, as, as good as the Golden Knights played in periods two and three of that first game, Stone, Pacioretty, and Stevenson were not good. Like, they, they, they were the one line that was bad in that first game. They got dominated. So it's not like... Chandler Stevenson played game one. They produced a whole bunch of points. And, and then won you game lost one. them. Yeah, and then lost them and lost the game. So they were bad in game one and still won. So the idea of like losing Chandler Stevenson and how important is it? He's important, but I don't think that's the biggest issue here. Like I, I think they can win this series even if Chandler Stevenson doesn't play another game. Right? He's oh, I not totally that agree with that. Because yeah, exactly. Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty should be good enough together that it doesn't really matter who their center is, that they can put Cody Glass or Keegan Colasar there, and it doesn't matter. But we're two games in, and the expected goals rate for Stone and Pacioretty is 27% yeah. and 24%. These are two guys, the last two years, these two have been top five, top five line in the NHL has been these two and usually Chandler Stevenson. That expected goals rate is normally around 60% for them. 27 and 24% through two games. That's terrible. Like, they have been shut down by Montreal. And then to throw into that, like, Carlson, Marcheseau, and Smith through two periods last night, the Golden Knights didn't what? have a shot on goal when they, those three were on the ice. They didn't have a shot. No. And their expected goals is, is yeah. like, 35%. I think they each ended up with one. Yeah. It's like they have, the Golden Knights have gotten nothing from their top five forwards. The only, like, good forward on the team that's played well is, like, Alex Tuck. Mm. He's the only one that's like, oh, yeah, he's had some good moments, but... You know, Alex Tuck is kind of cursed in terms of, hey, he gets a good chance he can't score in the playoffs. But, like, it, it to me, it doesn't have much to do with Chandler Stevenson because you're not really expecting much out of Chandler Stevenson. He's just along for the ride with Stone and Pacioretty. It's Stone, Pacioretty, and then Carlson, Marshall, Smith. Those guys got to do something. We're two games into the this series. Six goals, five by defensemen, and one yeah. by Matthias Janmark. Like, you got to get something out of those top two lines. You're not, you're not even Montreal. You're not beating Montreal if those guys don't give you anything. Right. Like, it's nice Petrangelo and Theodore are scoring, but the idea was they would score to complement their other forward scoring, not they would score to be the only one scoring in a playoff series. Is it possible that they score not off faceoffs? Uh, yes. <laughs> are you sure? Yes. Because I'm try I'm, I'm right now gauging <laughs> the percentage. Well, they it was 35-25 in faceoffs last night in favor of Montreal. But the two that Petrangelo got, and I think one or two in the well, two I'm, from the first game, two from the first game, yeah. two from last night. Are off Shea faces. Theodore's the first. So the, the only reason they were winning after the first period of game one is because Shea Theodore scored on some fluky yes. wrist shot from the point yeah. off a of faceoff. So two things have to happen. One, William Carlson, at least eight times out of ten, instead of nine times out of ten, can't be shoved off on a faceoff <laughs> because he get, he gets dismissed from those things like the sky come, you know, the sky's blue. And then two, they got to find other ways other than that to score. If that happens, there is every chance they can come back and beat the mighty Montreal. Well, Canadiens. okay, here's the problem with the faceoff goals. I would, I'd probably be willing to bet they don't score another goal directly off a faceoff in this series. Because well, yeah, because it doesn't happen. I, I no, get that, but it's, it's, it's the first it's, two games. Right. It's funny because like They've oh, like times. literally last night, the faceoff on his second goal. Ben and I were going over the numbers on you know how much Montreal was ahead, and like we both said, well, it's a faceoff. They might score, and then he scored. <laughs> like geez, they just keep doing this. They'll be up. They'll be up seven to. They'll be up seven to three before we know it. It's such a low percentage. Hey, win the faceoff, <laughs> yes. and the defenseman yes. just going to shoot from the blue line. <laughs> it's such a low percentage thing, but somehow they've done it four times in two games. <laughs> So like they probably don't do it again. So like if they can't yeah. score anywhere else, they better they're generate get something out. else. They're gonna get shut out. Is what's gonna happen. <laughs> All right, you were out two days ago, but Ed, we have French goal calls here. Oh, and I have probably spent beautiful. the last week 
you know, berating beautiful. berating the French because I think French is the most condescending language you've ever heard. So uh, you're not happy that the Montreal Canadiens notes in our emails arrive in French? No, not at all. Okay. It's it's just very condescending. Like I don't know what they're saying, but they're talking. I, down I to knew me. one thing in their notebook package from last night, and it was like ten pages. The only thing I saw was the name John Merrill. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I know John, I know that. So what do we have, Jared? Is this the first Montreal here? The other problem is we can't get Golden Knights goals in French because they only put out the Canadians' goals, which is uh, annoying too. Because I want to hear sad French people, but <laughs> this is happy French people. I mean, I can't read French, so I'm gonna say yes based okay. on the order in which you sent them. To I me. did send them in the right order. So here's the first Canadians' goal in French. Revient Eric Stahl. Stahl, le long d'arrêt, un tir devant, arrêté. Fleury qui était là pour stopper la dernière menace. Martinez pour chasser par Perry. Perry la passe pour Edmundson. Le tir dévié de l'autre côté. Un tir contre! Yo, Alarmia! I like, that, I like that you and Yah guy. You and Yah guy. <laughs> guy. Guy's big time. The great thing about these, the, the you know, the different languages, French and everything, and no matter what it is, you just pick up the names. Oh, that's Other it. than that, you have no clue no. what they're saying, but oh. you know the names and that's it. I I enjoyed the fact that goal in the the what we've played what four different languages hockey goal calls and it, the way people say goal is different in, in every, every single every language. Single like you got the high end of Hey Zeus screaming goal, and then you have the Russian one, which I I can't remember who we had of that. It was just like score. <laughs> <laughs> Russians don't screw around. All right, coming up next, we'll get into the NBA because all of a sudden the 76ers are facing elimination against the Hawks. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. Crowd here just saw him miss that first one. Here comes the second by Embiid now. It's on the way. And he missed again. And the rebound taken by Kevin Herter in the Hawks call time. The great Joel Embiid, folks, just missed two free throws. And the Atlanta Hawks have the ball with 10.2 remaining. And they're about to take a 3-2 lead in this series. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Was that the Hawks radio call? Oh, that is amazing. The great Joel Embiid just missed two. Oh, that's phenomenal. That's the best. Oh, I love that so much. So the Atlanta Hawks have a 3-2 lead in the second round of the playoffs over the 76ers. And not only do they have a 3-2 lead, they were down 2-1 in this series. They were down 18 points in game four, came back to win. They were down 26 points last night in game five, came back to win. Second half for the Sixers last night, the only two 76ers to make a field goal. Joel Embiid and Seth Curry, and Embiid was three of nine in the second half. And it's not the good Curry. No, it is not the good Curry. Well, <laughs> Seth Curry might be the good well, Curry he, now. He was the only good, good player on their team in the I mean, second if half. you ever said it was Steph, the, I'd actually think Steph Curry might be the only one in the second half in some nights who make a ba- who makes a basket. What do you think more, more uh, you know, correct here? I have an opinion. I, I think I know which way you're going to go. Was it an epic comeback or an epic collapse? It's two nights in a row. It's a collapse. Because, Even on the road? Yes. Because like, I could see that at home. Maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on the home crowd in terms of what the Hawks were able to do down 18. But at home, when you lose when you lose the game by 26, or you, you're down up 26, you lose. That's a huge collapse. Because you look at two things. One, Joel Embiid, who was their best player, who has had an unbelievable season this year. He was over from the floor in the fourth quarter in game four when they blew it. 
Last night, granted, he was only one of two to score. He's good in the beginning. But he was three of nine from the yeah. floor in the second, second half, half of that game. Yeah. And I think it was he didn't score from the seventh with seven minutes remaining in the fourth quarter till the end of the game, including missing two free throws there. Like Joel Embiid is the best player on the team. He should be the best player in this series, and he has disappeared in the last two fourth quarters. And then on top of that, Ben Simmons is supposed to be sort of their secondary star, and Ben Simmons is kind of useless. Like, he can't shoot. He's very good in transition. He can finish at the rim, but he can't shoot, and it's such a detriment that, like, they're running ball screens with Seth Curry late in games because, oh, Ben Simmons isn't going to be respected in the playoffs. Like, it's a collapse from the 76ers. Because here's the other part of this. They're not losing to the Nets. They're not losing to Giannis and the Bucks. They're losing to Trey Young and the yeah. Hawks. Who's the second best player on that team? John Collins? Like, if the, like, I'm kind of Lou all Williams. Here. Lou Williams was last night. Lou Williams was better than everybody else the Sixers had last night. So, like, it's it's not like they're losing to a good team, right? It's not like it's Trey Young and, and a bunch of guys you probably haven't heard of. Bogdanovich, John Collins, and Lou Williams are torching you. Should we be giving Embiid credit for playing with the knee? How hurt is it? Like, that's, well, that's, that's, that's the, the thing question. because is he was he... really, really good yeah. in the first half last night. I look, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how hurt he is. I don't know if anyone is. He's playing through it. Um, but that, you know, I'd like to know how hurt he is because in the first half he was terrific, and in the second half, like you said, he couldn't make a shot. I don't know if that has anything to do with his knee. And to be fair to Embiid, I think the numbers last night when he was on the floor, they outscored the Hawks by eleven. When he was off the floor, they got outscored by fourteen or whatever it was. Like. The bench unit for the 76ers has been god-awful in this series, and that's been where the Hawks have made a bunch of their runs. But again, if you're Joel Embiid, you still got to score some down the stretch because the the flaw with the 76ers is they don't have a perimeter-oriented player that you can go to late in the game to create offense, right? Joel Embiid can create offense, but it's kind of more awkward to say, hey, we're going to throw it in the post late in the game with a big possession. You need some form of perimeter-oriented offense, and when Seth Curry is the only one that can do that for you, you don't have much of a chance. Boy, I'll tell you what, uh, they lose the series. I, saw, I already saw the firestorm on Twitter last night. People going after Doc pretty bad. Pretty, yeah, I, mean, I mean, at this point, like, man, Doc. I mean, I know he's got the ring, but... You see, he said some pretty talented players the last several years uh, <laughs> of his coaching career, and they have underachieved. Because, like, if you're the 76ers and you lose this series, right? You the, the 76ers tanked to get here, right? They tanked. They were bad on purpose to get a bunch of assets, and they got good assets, right? Joel Embiid is a great asset, right? Noel Ben Simmons is even yeah. Ben Simmons is a good asset. You probably just don't want him as your second best player and best perimeter player to actually win a playoff series, but. If you tank and then you're at this point where you get the one seed and you're in the Eastern Conference second round playing the Atlanta Hawks while the Bucks and the Nets, the other two legitimate title there, contenders, yeah. are in the other round. If you lose to the Hawks, something's got to change. Probably yeah. a lot has to change. It's probably not just Doc. It's probably, yeah, Ben Simmons ben has Simmons to Ben Simmons moves. Because yeah. you've got to get something yeah. different than Ben Simmons. Because... Here's the problem with Ben Simmons. The only way to win with Ben Simmons is to how the Bucks do it with Giannis, and that is surround him with shooters, right? You've got a guy who's very good at getting in the rim and finishing, but he can't shoot. And even the Bucks with Giannis, it doesn't work. We've seen it year after year. There's not enough creativity there. Like, it's not working. And so the best way to win with Ben Simmons is how the Bucks are doing it, but Ben Simmons isn't as good as Giannis, and it doesn't even work with right. Giannis. So what do you do with Ben Simmons? I, I don't know. You put him with Zion. <laughs> And no shooters. <laughs> That's just coming to Vegas. 
two non-shooters. Zion and Ben Zion Simmons. Zion and Ben Simmons are coming to Vegas. And they need a coach. Oh, a lot of coaches. Oh, my God. That team. Tyler, you coach those two. We could, uh, what, okay, in all seriousness, Zion Williamson, Ben Simmons, Giannis on a team together. Do they win anything? Because all three Steph of them Curry. are re- no, no. You don't get like Jared <laughs> you don't said. Get, you don't get Steph you don't Curry? get shooters. Oh, like, you get no shooters. Well, no. yeah, you can. You have, gotta get one guy. You out can there. have some Seth, poor man. You, you can, can have, have Seth, Seth Curry. Seth Curry. No, no, you can have the reanimated course of Kyle Korver. <laughs> or Matthew Dellavedova, but you only get one. <laughs> like if those were your three best players, can you win? Because they're all three really good. The problem is they're all three really good at the same thing. I don't know if you can win the way it's played today. Yeah, I don't think you I can mean, either. I don't think Even you can. though, like, listen, we're you'd say all three of those guys are top thirty, whatever number you want Easily. to put on it, players in the NBA. Yeah, but I don't. If you had those on a team, I don't think you win. I, you might not even get a first round on a night. The Clippers were shooting really well. You lose by forty-seven <laughs> points. I mean, if the Clippers were having one of those nights where they made every three, you might lose by sixty. Didn't the Clippers and Jazz both hit forty percent of their threes? Yes. I know yeah, the I mean, Jazz. If, the Jazz finished like three of twenty. No, but there the there half. were nights this year where the Clippers were obviously the best shooting three-point team. If they played a team with Giannis, Ben Simmons, and, and Zion, they might win by like sixty. It, it would just be ridiculous. <laughs> like it would be hilarious. What would be the historical comp there? The big three from the Celtics. Like I'm trying to think, like what? What would if you had those three on the same team? Yeah, like was that the? Well, they had Ray Allen shooting. Oh threes. yeah, you're right. They had Ray Allen. <laughs> right, but like if they didn't have it was Ray really Allen, good in that movie shooting. Oh boy, if they didn't have Ray Allen and it was <laughs> Rondo six with the Heat, and it was Rondo, Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett. Yeah, that's a decent comparison. Although Paul Pierce did shoot threes and actually make them, he shot more of those elbow jumpers though. But yeah, it's like that's where we are in the NBA. Like I like. Love watching Zion for the Pelicans. I don't think he has a chance to win anything because it's just unless he's he does shoot threes a little bit more than Simmons and Giannis, unless that becomes a major part of his game. Like you just you can't win that way as like you just can't win playoff games that way. And that's what the Sixers are finding out with Ben Simmons is what the Bucks have been finding out with Giannis. It's like even if you surround him with shooters, it's really hard to win when your best player can't even like even LeBron's not a great three point shooter, but. No, he, he's shots, an average yeah, three-point average, shooter, yeah, and that's that, that's what you yeah. need is just get average out there, and that'll probably be enough to make them respect you and make defenses not just, ah, we'll defend you by standing by the rim while you dribble at the three-point line. That's all you have to do. All right, coming up next, David Roth joins the show. We're happy to talk to him. He just seems happy to talk to anyone. David Roth from The Defector is with us on the press box. Subscribe to the distraction on Stitcher and use the promo code distract for a free month of Stitcher Premium. Good morning, David. Good, uh, David. Are the 76ers hey. the worst tank job ever? I'm still in awe. I was t- telling Jared before I went on, I just edited a 2,000 word story from Dan McQuaid, who was there <laughs> last night and is like a, very much a Sixers fan. We don't run a lot of blogs that I would describe as being like written by someone in tears, but wow, man! <laughs> and I, I totally stopped watching that game for like most of that comeback happened while I was like uh, watching a rerun of like uh, we watched the New Girl last night, me and my wife for an episode. So I was like, I don't need to see this; like, it's fine. Uh, you know, so we watched Zoe D, and uh, then when I turned it back to the like, basically, I saw the last. Philadelphia field goal of that game, watched an entire sitcom, went back, <laughs> and the lead was entirely gone. If 
If you've got a guy, and I, this is this, you know, I have to walk into my writer's hat here. If you've got a guy writing two thousand words, what is your demanding deadline on that guy? When must he give you the copy? I mean, this is it's different for us because it's like no newspaper would ever ask somebody to do that. So, like, basically, he I got a DM from him last night at two fifty eight a.m. and then I. And then I got a second one this morning that was like, I looked it over. It's actually fine. But it was, I think it was, I mean, that's my process too with stuff like this. This is what writing on the internet does to you. It's like, you know, time kind of dilates and becomes fake. And suddenly you're like, yeah, I guess I didn't sleep last night because I needed to like write this epic poem about Jacob deGrom that no one can see because <laughs> it's completely incoherent. Uh, important question, David. If you yes. put on a team Giannis, Ben Simmons, Zion Williamson, guys that are all good at dunking, not good at shooting. Do they win anything? I mean, in the regular season, probably. Like, that's a good defensive team minus Zion, but wow. I So this has been, like, the big revelation of this playoffs is that, like, Giannis still, like, kind of doesn't have moves or whatever. <laughs> like, I mean, he's in, an incredible specimen, and, like, if he's used right, like, you get him the ball, like, he needs, like, post touches. He's like Shaq. But when there's moments where he'll get the ball at the top of the key and they're just, like, going to let him create or something, and it looks just like a like one of those, like, sort of viral Instagram guys where you see them in, like, a, a playground game and they're just, like, dribbling between their legs for, like, 20 seconds and then they just brick a three. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's crazy because it's, like, that's one of the, you know, five best basketball players on earth, but he's just kind of standing there, like, dribbling the ball as hard as he can and then running in a straight line, like, uh, into three defenders. Like, it's... I, I know that people talk about he's going to add a three and he's going to, you know, expand his game that way, like... I just like to see him, like, I think it would be more fun if he, like, you know, learned a spin move or something. You know, like, just, like, get more comfortable doing cool basketball stuff. So in any way, is this any kind of credit towards Atlanta, or is this one of the massive choke jobs you've seen? It's both, I think. Atlanta's really pretty good. I mean, I had that impression watching them against the Knicks. I mean, the Knicks really, like, hit their ceiling. Like, it was a typical Tibbs sort of thing, right? Like, it was, like, not really a very good team that played super-duper hard and played good defense. But it was obvious, like, I, you know, I had not really thought about the Hawks. No one really thinks about the Hawks. <laughs> but, like, they've got a lot of really talented players. And Young, as annoying as he is, uh, and he's not, like, you know, the evolution of Steph Curry or whatever they'll say about him, you know, if and when they win this series, like, really is excellent. And I'm surprised at how poorly uh, the Sixers and the Knicks have done hunting him out on defense, but I guess maybe that's to Nate McMillan's credit. Like, it seems like they, they really know what they're doing out there. Uh, they just happen to also be doing it against, like, whatever, Ben Simmons rapidly forgetting how to play basketball, <laughs> and the entire rest of the Sixers taking the second half off. Uh, you wrote about Major League Baseball and their problem here cleaning up their foreign substances issues, but... One of the things you mentioned but didn't go into is if you squint hard enough, you can just see this as a feud between Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer. Um, please take us down that road. All right. Uh, yeah, this is this is most definitely tinfoil hat territory, but this is the the story as I would tell it if you were to uh, make it uh, like a you know a limited streaming series for ESPN <laughs> six. <laughs> so in 2017, Garrett Cole uh, goes from the Pirates to the Astros and immediately uh, spin rate jumps. This is what happens, because when people go to the Astros, they start using sticky stuff, and, uh, you know, they develop that spin rate. This is, like, 
you know, it was known at the time. And we know that Bauer knew about it because that's when he wrote uh, his, in 2018, he did that Players' Tribune thing about Pine Tar where he was basically saying, you know, like, the only way that you can get these sorts of jumps is if you cheat. But, of course, I would never do that uh, because that's wrong. Uh, but Cole, who is Bowers, like, they were rivals. They played on the same college team. Uh, they really do not seem to like each other very much. So 2018, like, Bauer basically writes that Players' Tribune thing about Cole and about his jump. He doesn't say his name because it's not, you know, he's not quite that overt. Uh, but then in 2019, Bauer jumps with the spin rate. And he, he's basically said that this can only work one way, and then it starts working that way for him. He's never really denied it. I mean, you know, the guy sells a legalized pine tar T-shirt on his website. <laughs> but I think that, like, the whole story, like, if you, it's not exactly like a spy versus spy episode, you know, where they're constantly finding stickier and stickier stuff, although that might be a fun little dimension if we're still talking about the streaming series. But there's clearly, like, an element to it there of, like, a competition between these two guys that Bauer maybe couldn't stand that Cole was winning. And then, you know, he's surpassed him at this point. Like, Bauer's even better at answering questions about using sticky stuff than Cole is. Well, so it's clear is. that, like, that, <laughs> that sort of worm has turned. I don't think that it's, it's entirely that, because obviously there's more than two people in baseball. But I think that, like, that version of it, as, like, silly and sort of as much as it leaves out, I don't think it's wrong exactly. So... A lot of this is coming because, like, the, the batting average across the league is below 240. But yeah. how much is it because Trevor Bauer has made so much noise about this in the past? And that sort of if, – if Trevor Bauer never existed, would we have heard so much about Pine Tar and would Major League Baseball be doing anything right now about it? Yeah, I, I'm not generally in the business of saying the nicest things about Trevor Bauer. It, you're absolutely right on that this would not be what it is if he hadn't talked about it. I think that, like, you know, I think it might have become an issue if, like, in the absence of Trevor Bauer, offense bottoms out and the entire league is hitting, like, Aaron Miles for two years. Like, obviously that's bad, right? Like, and they wouldn't want that. But I think that the way that he has sort of dragged it into the the light is, like, ultimately a good thing and, like, a service on his part. But it's it takes a guy that is, first of all, like as relentless a poster as he is, like a guy who just like when he's on something, it's like a total dog with a bone sort of scenario, uh, for better or worse. And then also to be as good as him. I mean, that like basically, it was it's one thing to say there's no way to do this unless you use pine tar, and if I used it, I would win a Cy Young. It's like then he did it. You know, like this is like he's not just making the argument; like he's the evidence. So what happens, you think? Because now here comes the supposed crackdown, and obviously I'm sure they'll check anything he does and Cole and others, but how deep do you think it goes, and how often do you think we're talking about uh, guys getting uh, disciplined? I really wonder about that, because I think it seems like the sort of thing, this is like a very MLB way to handle it, you know, like a stern statement and a bunch of new rules, but at some point you're asking, like, Cowboy Joe West to touch guys' necks a few times a game to see if there's something weird there. (laughs) You know, like I think there's not like an enforcement apparatus that makes sense. And so I think that like what I hope will happen, and this has always been my argument, like Liam Hendricks mentioned this, is that like I hope uh, that they just come up with like an MLB branded goo, put it on the mound, everybody uses it, and that's fine. Because at least then everybody knows what it is and where it is, and you can see it happening. I think that like if it's above board, I don't think there's anything wrong with letting people use I mean, it, let like Pete Alonso said, like let the pitchers use what the hitters use. Just not, you know, like don't use spider tack and don't 
keep it a secret. But I think the rest of this year, like I'm, I'm sort of hoping that they don't do a lot of disciplining and suspending because I don't think they've really thought about it enough. And I think there's going to be a lot of uh, bycatch and just, just in general, kind of like a weird, um, an overreach on it. But I do think that they're going to make a point, you know, in the next month, someone's going to catch a suspension. Like, I just think it's like, that seems to be the mode that the league is in right now that like, they're going to need a couple of like sort of figurehead people to punish. But I don't know who that'll be. I mean, it's already, you can see the guys that were, you know, sort of the the main characters of this drama, like, have all either, I don't think they've stopped using it, but, like, the spin rate is down. Like, Bowers' ball is spinning less. Coles is spinning much less. So, like, there's clearly some response there. I guess it's just, like, we're sort of waiting to see what the the next, like, less detectable substance will be. Because I don't think anybody wants to go out there, like Tyler, Tyler Glasnow style, and, like, just throw with their bare hand. Like it's going to be really hot soon. I think guys are going to get hurt doing that. I love asking you uh, about things Drew McGarry wrote because it's like you have to defend a family member that's an idiot. Um, but he wrote something. He wrote something this morning that was: uh, "We should boo unvaccinated athletes." So should we boo unvaccinated athletes? Buddy, I've done it myself. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I would say that it's roughly as gratifying as booing a vaccinated athlete. I haven't really noticed the difference. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's the sort of thing where, like, if, you know, as a fan, like, you're always looking for a, a way to up your level of being stupid. You know, like, just you, you have to get into a, a sort of an unreasoning part of your brain and, like, convince yourself that Anthony Rizzo is your enemy for, like, 72 hours and then completely forget about Anthony Rizzo again until you see him next. <laughs> like speaking from experience as a Mets fan, but this is like it to me, like, yeah, it gives you an extra thing to sort of yell at them about. I don't really have much else to yell at Anthony Rizzo about. He seems like a pretty decent guy except for, you know, pulling that whole, like, you know, once he's out there being like, it's a personal choice and I discussed it with my doctor and it turns out that I'm immortal because I read Instagram enough. Like, that guy, like, yeah, I'll boo you. I mean, but whatever. I was probably going to find some way to boo you anyway. I like, if Drew's casting it as like a principled stance, I don't think there's such a thing as like a principled way to like making a boo sound at another adult. But if it's like a way to, you know, if it's a performance enhancer for when you go to a game and drink three beers and act as stupid as you can, like, yeah, sure. I'm on it. I'm just ready for this to come into like the real public world. Like you're in the grocery store and somebody's not They're vaccinated. They're not vaccinated, so you, you start just, booing them? Yeah, everybody just yeah. boos them over the loudspeaker. I think oh. that's, I think it would work in some ways. <laughs> like if somebody, whatever, is like making a scene at Walmart. Where they're like, it's actually got, it's like you're just injecting radios into you. And if everybody was just like, if they booed or were like giving them the Marcus Candy, get out of here. Thumb, I think that's whatever, it's better than calling security, right? That's uh, uh well, he is, he is David Roth from The Defector. David, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, David. Thanks, guys. Have Thank a good you. day. You too. How would we know? If we did know, though, each person walking by us or that we, you know, uh, relate to in life that they're vaccinated or not, what we could do in terms of booing them or just, like, scorning them. And I mean, technically, we should know because every store you go into now, it says vaccinated, no mask, unvaccinated, right. yeah. wear a mask. Right. Because those people, those people right. definitely followed all the rules during the yeah, pandemic. Yeah. Now, granted, I'm vaccinated, and I still have worn my mask in just about every store I've been in over the yeah. last two weeks. I'm vaccinated in most places that I go and I wear the mask. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not, I'm just not trust. I mean, it's sad to say, I'm just not trusting of anyone.
I don't trust anybody. <laughs> I, I, so I, you know, like I, I told you this, I, I I walk around places with a lot of people without masks. I'm like, I don't know if you're vaccinated. I mean, what is this? The honor system with our our physical health now? Grocery stores were gross before the pandemic. Should probably just wear the mask all the time. Like, I mean, uh, what, give me the percentage right now. Eighteen thousand last night at the at T-Mobile that were vaccinated. Half? I mean, yeah, I was gonna say. That's this, what I'm saying. This I, I don't base, know. Uh, what's our What's our number in in Nevada? Aren't we over half? Yeah. Yeah. So. So you're half? just gonna go with that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a fairly rough population estimate of in terms of who's vaccinated and who's right. not, who's at T-Mobile. Yeah. Maybe more. I mean, I know of at least one person who's not vaccinated who was at T-Mobile last night. So, so 17,999, maybe they were. One, maybe they weren't. Yeah, but Usher was cool. <laughs> hey, don't spoil it. We'll get to grades <laughs> later. Coming up next, we'll get into the NFL and their policies and how they're going to basically bully players into getting vaccinated. Do you want to schedule a parent-teacher conference after hearing Grainy's grades? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and let us know who deserves a higher grade. We're fortunate that we had almost 100% turnout and uh, we, we, we got better each day. We did a lot of strategic things to focus on every day and we got better. So I'm I'm very happy with that. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. So NFL vaccinations is going to be a big deal because the difference in being vaccinated and being unvaccinated as an NFL player is going to be pretty severe. Uh, if you are vaccinated, you will get to do things like go to restaurants and bars. You're unvaccinated. You go to a restaurant, you get fined fifty thousand uh, dollars. Vaccinated players uh, can leave their hotel rooms on road trips. Unvaccinated can't. Vaccinated players can eat meals together. Unvaccinated cannot. And maybe most important to the actual football part of this, vaccinated players will not have to quarantine if they come into close contact with somebody that tests positive for COVID. Unvaccinated players will. So when it comes to your availability to your team. Being unvaccinated makes you a less desirable player this season than being vaccinated. So I have no problem with any of this. Nope, not at all. I have no problem with any of it. Now, I do believe that the Raiders will have high-level meetings and secretly say, if you're not vaccinated, don't go near that Cassie Soda with her camera because we know what happened last year with the Darren Waller Foundation. (laughs) If you see her coming with a camera, you better get out of there because if you're on tape, we're going to catch you. I have no problem with any of this. Um, I'm actually happy as a media member as uh, we're all vaccinated here, that there'll be more one-on-ones. Yeah. Uh, not one-on-ones, but in person. I think it'll do it like baseball, like you have some kind of distance between you. But at least you'll be able to see the person yes. facially. There's such a difference on the Zoom. Um, so I'm cool with that, that we're all vaccinated and we're going to get that opportunity. I-, I have no problem with any of these restrictions. If you want guys to get vaccinated, put restrictions on them. And if not, then just stay in your hotel room. It's kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like smoking. It's like you don't want people to smoke. Put restrictions yeah. on smoking. Yeah. So... And, uh, We've heard a lot of players like refuse to answer if they're vaccinated. Yeah, if they're not, yeah. And, and well, Sam Darnold's come out and said he hasn't been vaccinated. Do He's you think red Facebook? Do you He's think okay? This will change the minds of people. Do you think there are players who are not vaccinated? They're going to see this and say, "Wait a minute, I can't leave my hotel room on a road trip. Wait a minute, I can't eat meals with my teammates. I am going to have to sit out if I come in close contact." With somebody who tests positive, I better go get vaccinated. That first preseason road trip 
Yep, that's going to be the one. See, you know what? That that's a great point. I think they have to be in the moment, in like Jared said, to realize. Wait a minute, where are you guys going? Oh, well, you can't go. I mean, then maybe. I mean, I you know, well, they're. I don't think it's a hundred percent. I think dudes are just like locked in on no vaccinations and don't really care. They can do it, but there will be a percentage that see the freedoms other guys have and say, okay, whatever, I'm just going to do it. I, I there's got to be those guys that see other guys going out and they're not in the hotel rooms. They can eat together. They can go out wherever, you know, players go or bars, or whatever. And you got to stay in your room. At some point there's going to be guys yeah. like, all right, give me the shot. I would, if I was a, if I was on an NFL team and I was vaccinated and we had guys that weren't and we went on a road trip, I would rub it in their face. Yes. I would be texting yes. them every like 30 minutes. How's the hotel room? Yeah. What's on TV? Just like nonstop, nonstop rating. Well, and the other way to get to guys and we saw, heard from the Raiders on this was, well, why did you do these things? Well, because, you know, it's a competitive disadvantage if we don't. Yeah. So they can throw that in their face. Yeah. Like, you know what, the man? I mean, part. It's right. a huge competitive disadvantage. The, which one? the quarantine. Right. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. If, so you can really play on a guy's guilt or make him at least feel guilty, say, you're screwing us, man. Yeah. You're screwing the team. Like, and at that point, you might have guys getting vaccinated. Like, we get into a season and and whatever, uh, you know, the Raiders, if Sam Darnold's not vaccinated, Derek Carr is. If both of them came into close contact with somebody on, like, a Friday that tested positive, Derek Carr can play on Sunday if he's vaccinated. Sam Darnold can't because he's right. not vaccinated. That's yeah, that's a huge deal for an NFL team that I want. I want all my players vaccinated. And by the way, from John Gruden, credit to the Raiders where he's said yesterday their entire coaching staff has been vaccinated, and then he said he can't actually give numbers on the the players, but that he feels like they're probably as good, if not better, than every other team in the league as far as how many people have been vaccinated. It's a credit to the Raiders if they actually and truly have you know 100 of the coaches and. 80% of the players or whatever that number is. Do you do the cynical parts of us wonder how they're going to te- ch- check this? Check what? If the players yeah. are vaccinated? Uh, I assume I, it's I, like just, how they checked it here where yeah. it's just like you have to send an email to you HR. Have to show the card? Yeah, I assume All I assume right. so. That's what I that's what I would do if I was in an NFL team. No, that's what I'm saying. You have you have to absolutely make right. sure you know, hey, why are you out with these guys? We haven't seen your card. Yeah. And so remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about like people, the, should the media be asking players right, if they're right, vaccinated? Right. This is exactly why. Because when we get into the season, guy comes in close contact and can't play a game. We need like right. as an information, people giving out information. information. Hey, is this guy available? Well, no, he's not vaccinated. Yeah. That's an important thing to know. It's a very fair question to ask any player in any sport.